The U.S. Department of the Interior oversees 61 areas designated as national parks, which cover a staggering 52.2 million acres of land. Given that these national parks are preserved as largely pristine and untouched wilderness far from human civilization, it comes as no surprise that some visitors go missing within the parks each year. Anywhere from a few hundred to a few thousand individuals have disappeared within the U.S. national park system in the past hundred years, but we'll never know the exact number. Are these disappearances merely cases of inexperienced hikers and campers getting lost in the wilderness? Or is there something more sinister afoot? This week on Unknowable, National Park Disappearances. Hello, and welcome to Unknowable, the podcast where we talk about all things mysterious, unusual, or unknowable. I'm Justine. And I'm Greg. This week, we have a topic that's a little more grounded in fact and reality than we normally deal with. With a little hint of paranormal. A hundred percent. There's yeah. definitely room for the paranormal here. There's always room. <laughs> There's. I feel any like particular topic that has anything to do with people going missing oh, yeah. is always going to have some paranormal theory to it. hundred percent. Especially with us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the mind's always going to go there. Oh, yeah. I was actually surprised in researching this that... In some way that I didn't find more about the paranormal aspect, but then right. there were a lot of times where it would like just be this little afterthought of like, oh, was it this? Was it this? Or was it Bigfoot? Right. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, right. There wasn't a whole lot of like, a, a lot of times when we research a topic, you're sort of, um, you know, at the end of every article we read about it, there's almost like a, a conclusion drawn mm. or there's some sort of like very obvious cause of the phenomenon that's pointed to at the end of the article. But everything I read about this was super open-ended. There yeah. doesn't seem to be like a lot of um, consensus or even like sort of ideas of what could be doing it. It's still very like just mysterious in general. Which is kind of cool. Exactly. Because we get to we get to posit our own theories. We love theories. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, brief yeah. overview. I feel like literally the title, National Parks Disappearance, is kind of... There's not t- too much more you need to know. Right. But, so... The National Institute of Justice, which is the research arm of the Department of Justice, calls unidentified remains and missing persons. Now, this is just in general, not national parks specifically. Um, Quote, the nation's silent mass disaster. Whoa. Estimating that on any given day, again, this is just general disappearances, Mm -hmm. there are between 80 and 90,000 people actively listed with law enforcement as missing. That's wild. Yeah. Like, we live in the city of Portland, Maine, and there's, like, 60,000 people who live in Portland, Maine. Yeah. So more than the entire city of Portland are missing each day. Yeah. In the United States. It's insane. And the majority of those tend to disappear from populated areas, Mm -hmm. which is almost crazier. Yeah. When you think about that, like, I would totally expect the number, and maybe there is a much higher number disappearing in parks, which is, we'll talk about that. We'll get there. I would almost think that people disappearing in the wilderness or disappearing not in populated areas would be more common. Right. Like where, like what's happening to people in populated areas where they're just disappearing. Maybe just the idea that, yeah, like people are more anonymous in a city. You know, you don't, you don't look at each individual person. You just see a group of people. Right. Um, Whereas like in the wilderness, they're more, you know, sticks out more. You, I mean, I, I know for a fact, I don't acknowledge anybody when i'm walking down the side of the road yeah but if i'm like out hiking i'm like oh hey how's it going to every person who i walk by yeah that's true so Hmm. 
No, yeah. it's crazy. It the is. idea has always struck me as insane. Like thinking about being a family member or a friend of a missing person. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to say that it's worse than being a family member or a friend of like a murdered or whatever person. Otherwise but, deceased. Yes. But I do think it would, I don't know. It would haunt you for a lot longer. I would think. Oh yeah. Um, segue already into a personal story, <laughs> but so I am not a family member of a missing person, but for like a half an hour, one day I thought I might be, Whoa. and this is part of me just being paranoid, but classic when my husband and I lived in Scarborough, Maine, mm-hmm. we lived in an apartment. It was like a little weird. There was a big building with several apartments. And then there was our little tiny building. That was like our landlord's workshop downstairs. And then we lived upstairs and that was it. Mm-hmm. And so our laundry was in a different building. So one day we were hanging out at home and Nate, my husband goes, he's doing some laundry or whatever. And at some point I was pretty sure that he left the apartment to go get a load of laundry or whatever. And, but he just didn't come back in the apartment and not much time passed, but like 10, 15 minutes. And I was like, where the heck did he go? Right. Didn't know for sure. That's where he went. So I go outside. He's not out there. I go over to the laundry room and he hadn't done anything like the laundry hadn't been switched or taken out. So I'm like, okay, that's weird. And I look like the car is still there. His sister was supposed to pick him up for something later in the day. So I I text her. She's like, no, I haven't even like left to come get him. So I'm like, okay, he's Hmm. here somewhere. And I start to like start to panic. Classic. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell? He just walked out of the apartment vanished, and just vanished. We lived. It wasn't like woods behind us, but it was just kind of like a little yard. And then there was like sort of a little ravine with some woods. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh my, like, did he fall down? Like, why would he have been back there? <laughs> like my mind just started racing. Of course. Of just like, where could he have possibly gone? What else could he have done? We lived pretty close to his work, which is a hardware store. I'm like, did, why would he have walked to the hardware? Like, just nothing right. made sense. Turns out he had walked outside to go get the laundry. And there was a, a greenhouse place next door. Oh, yeah. And a friend of his was at the greenhouse and had been like, oh, my God, Nate. And so he walked over there to talk with her. Right. And so at some point when I'm outside just freaking out, like literally verge of tears, what am I going to do? He like walks back over just all casual. And I was like literally just burst into tears. And I was like, where did you just go? Like, what the hell? But I remember my mind just going crazy with like, I don't even know what he was wearing. Mm -hmm. What if he never comes back? Where did he go? Like, did somebody take him and why? Mm -hmm. Like, what if he did fall? Like, I just couldn't stop spiraling. It's crazy. So considering how much hell I was in, which like this, I hope this isn't insulting to anybody who actually has a missing person. Right. But I mean, in that, brief time i legitimately thought that he was just gone it's crazy and i had no idea what could have happened to him right and i'm sure that's how some people in these stories feel about just oh yeah some of these missing people stories don't make any sense no they're super weird and like yeah there's all these like weird details that when you start to get into it they just make less and less sense yeah so not to say that i can relate because i cannot but i to say that i cannot imagine Mm -hmm. the pain and the confusion and the just fact that you would just i don't think you'd ever get over that right at least with a death you have some conclusion exactly of this person died even if we don't know the circumstances and we don't know who did it or whatever like at least you know like they are dead right but these people will never know we'll never know so yeah yeah missing people in general is a huge problem yeah um and so the issue with this particular 
national parks missing people right is that we don't know how many people have gone missing in national parks they don't keep records they don't keep records like, I, this was not a thing that i knew right they're, um, like a, they're a federal organization they have like a headquarters in washington dc yeah they're overseen by the uh, u.s department of the interior yeah and it's 2019 and they don't keep records like we are doing meticulous tracking of how many wolves and like grizzly bears are in national parks and right. we don't know how many humans right have gone missing which I will account there must be some small number of just like in a populated city even mm -hmm. where there are probably people who don't really have any family or friends right. who like are off on a hike or whatever. They're just doing their thing solo and they yeah. go missing and nobody knows mm -hmm. and nobody reports them. That's fine. But so. imagine I would have to imagine that most like right. a vast majority have somebody who knows they're missing. Oh yeah. Um. So the Department of Justice keeps a database, the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System. Mm -hmm. But reporting a missing person is voluntary in all but 10 states. And law enforcement and coroner participation is voluntary as well. So many of the missing are also missing from the database. Whoa. That's cool. Yeah, that's like wild. Yeah. Um, there's no centralized registry or database of persons who have gone missing in our national parks and forests or on Bureau of Land Management lands, mm -hmm. which, as you said in the cold open, is a shit ton of oh, land. 52.2 million acres. Yeah. I can't even, like, process in my head how large of an area that is. No, not at all. Um, So, if search and rescue parties are unable to locate the missing, there's no records that are required to be kept by our government about the missing person case or the circumstances surrounding the event. It's crazy. Um, when remains of the missing are found again, like there's no records that are required to be maintained. So this is not saying that there's never any records, just right. that there's not any type of like organization right now of the requirements. Yeah. It so seems it's like all over the place. Each national park kind of has its own system. Like yeah. each national park, like there's no standardized response even some national parks, if somebody's missing, they have their own sort of proprietary um, search and rescue team that's just for that national park, like a big one like Yosemite. Mm. Um, but some of like the smaller ones, they will um, use like state, like state troopers and like the state search and rescue team. Others just kind of have as many rangers as they can muster up and like anybody who wants to volunteer. Yeah. It's super all over the board. Like you would think that for like a federal agency they would have some kind of standardized response or like some kind of like search and rescue team that's like ready to go on like a jet or something yeah but no. but no it's no crazy yeah and part of the problem as you kind of alluded to is that the park service might not be the lead agency mm -hmm. in searching for these people so county sheriff departments authorities from local municipalities um they might be assuming control and sometimes information isn't even really going back to the park itself um, and again, it's a huge swath of land that we're talking about here mm -hmm. over many. I actually don't know how many national parks there are. 61. 61. Wow. Okay. 61 parks. And mm -hmm. so we're really just focusing on the United States here. Oh yeah. This is a, a thing in, I mean, as far as people going missing, I don't know about the categorizing and database in other countries, but right. we're just talking about United States right now. Um, so after 9-11, the Department of the Interior tried to build its own database to track law enforcement actions across lands managed by the National Park Service, Bureau of Land Management, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Um, so this resulted in the Incident Management Analysis and Reporting System, which apparently just sucks ass. 
That's basically what I read. Exactly. Um, There was an article on like outdoor magazines website where somebody was interviewing, like they apparently interviewed some people who chose to remain anonymous from some of these various groups that essentially just talked about how buggy and not user friendly this system was. Right. Um, apparently U.S. Fish and Wildlife just refuses to use it because it's just so crappy. Wow. Um, there's just not good, like, the ability to search for various things or, like, various common factors just is not hmm. in existence. Um, in 2016, only 14% of the several hundred reportable incidents were even entered into the system. Wow. So it's like they made just, like, the crappiest. It kind of reminds me of when, um, like, the whole idea of tracking serial killers first became a thing Mm. how like for you know hundreds of years um there was no sort of like centralized way to track deaths especially like ones that occurred on like across state lines so it wasn't until they started to track them through the fbi that you were able to string these together and find patterns and figure out like oh like there could be people like operating as like serial killers and stuff so it's kind of like the early days of that where it's like Everything is super like compartmentalized. None of them really communicate well with each other. There's no central database. So there's no way to sort of track trends. You know yeah. what I mean? There's just no, there's no way to analyze any of that data. Exactly. And um, as we'll see, it, it's, it's a huge problem because there's, you know, when we talk about the missing, the amount of people missing in state parks, we have to give an estimate yeah. because it's not known. And like the estimates that I've seen seem to be like stupid low. If you oh, look yeah. at like the like the um, national average of missing people like per day, then there's no way that the, the numbers that they give are accurate. They must be way under undershot. Yeah. I, so on the um, actual website for the national park service, mm. there is a section of cold cases Yeah, and there's 27, 27. This is spanning back to, what did you say? 1908. Yes. So there's like, I mean, just, You don't need to know, you don't need to suspect anything weird going on to know that that's just not possible. In a hundred years, only 27 people are missing in 52 million acres of land. Yeah. There's no way. Even the highest estimate I saw was like 1400 people missing. Yeah. I think I saw 1600 was the highest. And even that seems, again, we're not talking about 1600 last week. We're talking 1600 in the last hundred years. In a hundred years. Like that doesn't even seem. So if there's, if if there's 80,000 current uh, missing people per day in the United States. I just, I don't buy that. The numbers are that low. I don't buy it at all. Um, so yeah, again, there's only estimates. Um, and these are just civilians and like conspiracy theorists. Mm -hmm. So yeah, 1600 people and perhaps many times that number remain missing. Right. Um, so this is, yeah, this is even not even just who went missing period, but like remain missing with no, and really the, we'll get into it a little bit more, but the, the searching doesn't usually go on for that long. So this is like, right. not like people are being searched for, for months and months and months. Typically mm-hmm. this is like a couple weeks. Um, so there was the good Samaritan search and recovery act 2013, which has helped a little bit. Um, it essentially was made to help expedite access for qualified volunteers to national parks and forests. So now apparently there's like paperwork that needs to be filed, which I didn't know. <laughs> And so now because of that act, they can search within 48 hours of filing paperwork. Hmm. I don't, I will admit that I don't know what the process was before, right? but apparently less quick than that, right. which if you, I mean, again, all you have to do is like watch some true crime TV right. to know that those first couple days are pretty crucial. So wait, so you can search after 48 hours of filing the paperwork? 
Yeah. And there's literally a show called The First 48. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The first 48 hours are the most important. Yeah, when the you most important. Somebody. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I was reading about this guy, Michael Niger. Sure. Sure. Um, a retired Michigan State police detective who now specializes in backcountry search and rescue, which is kind of cool. That's wild. Um, he says, personally, he'd like to see a searchable resource that gives volunteers like himself the same information that government officials have, which I guess I didn't realize that they didn't have that already. Hmm. Um, case profiles, topographic maps, dog tracks, and weather. So this is what the official, like, government officials involved in these searches, but all of these volunteers, I don't know what they're given, but it's not that. So they're Seems like just basic, going in blind. Yeah. Basic information. Right? Like That's crazy. Crazy. It kind of puts a lot of these, these missing person cases that we're going to get into, kind of puts a lot of it into perspective when you realize how poor the tools that these people have to use are who yeah. are looking for missing people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So essentially, like, where you go missing is really crucial mm-hmm. to uh, if you will be found, basically. Yeah, right. Um, if you vanish in a municipality, which is a city or a town that has corporate status and local government, then most likely the, pol- the local police are going to be looking for you. Um, they can obtain assistance from the county sheriff or... They can even, like, state police, university law enforcement, um, if foul play is suspected at all, then it could be the state's Bureau of Investigation or even the Federal Bureau of Investigation will get involved. Um, But with the exception of the sheriff, these organizations don't tend to go looking through the woods for somebody unless it turns into a criminal case. Right. So most likely, and I guess this... um, Essentially, there's like kind of an old fashioned statute with some of the bigger national parks. Again, like unlike Yosemite, which is like a huge thing that basically oh, yeah. operates like its own sovereign state, practically. Right. Um, the, in some of the smaller ones, they kind of just stipulate that you're the responsibility of the county sheriff, mm. which apparently that, um, where was it? That like kind of dates back to a time when like the county sheriff was. It, all there was right. for the you know local government Law like that enforcement yeah. yeah that was kind of it um but of course nowadays that's not relevant anymore right so it seems kind of silly um but yeah so yeah, there's no real federal standards for terrestrial search and rescue terrestrial um it's crazy yeah it's an, a historical institution from when the sheriff was the only organized government Wow. But now we've got all kinds of organized government. Right. So, so the translation of that basically is that our, our system for searching for people in national parks is horrifically antiquated. Yeah. N- unconnected with one another and just generally like stuck in 1911. Yeah. And again, like Yosemite being the example over and over here mm-hmm. is a state park that is huge that has like a really insane search and rescue team. Right. <clears throat> like if you're going to go missing time. somewhere do that exactly because they might well, yeah, and like you hear about people in uh like like grand canyon national park mm. going missing because it's like a very like i don't know like metropolitan national park meaning that there's like a ton of people there and there's a mm. lot of like oversight and there's just a lot of like infrastructure and like focus on it whereas like other like some state parks don't even or national parks don't even um track who's going in and out of it yeah there's no like sort of like guard station there's no fee you're just you know as many people can be driving through there and they have no idea yeah which is wild so because in some of these missing cases missing persons cases it is kind of crucial to be able to see that somebody like purchased a park pass or they purchased a um you know like a campsite 
pass or whatever. Like they paid a fee to be there for X number of days, like which can be really important to know in a missing person's case to kind of know what their intention was, Mm -hmm. at least what you can gather from that information. But if you have no idea if somebody even went there, right. Especially if it's a place that could be accessible by foot and you don't even drive in, there's no car left. Like you might not even know that somebody went missing in that park at all. So Mm -hmm. that could even increase the number of people missing in these parks because we might not even know that some people entered the park period. Right. Which is insane. Um, so a great example, Rio Grande national forest in Southwestern Colorado, um, where somebody disappeared. I'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not just one person. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the entire like 377,000 acre district has just a single full-time law enforcement officer. Jesus. She lamented to a writer from outside magazine, um, that sometimes she discovers missing persons cases in the weekly newspaper. Which not this no blame goes to her. No, She's like I can't even imagine. It's like ridiculous. That's insane. So, but this yeah. is just how understaffed some of these places are in mm-hmm. regard to that, um, where one person can't possibly no. do everything that's needed in that huge of a space, let alone things as complicated as missing persons. Mm-hmm. Missing persons. Great. Missing persons. Great. Um, so I found a thing called the 2017 annual SAR search and rescue dashboard but i didn't find anything that was like close to that for any other years which is interesting it was just this one year i don't know why maybe Mm. i failed in my search but um but in that 2017 search and rescue dashboard they had over 4,000 reported search and rescue incidents um i don't know for sure this was just national parks or if this was like anywhere you know that hikers and campers would be in general right um But yeah, they had 1,728 listed as saves. Yay. That's good. But there are 423 that are currently listed as unfounded. Weird. And which is over 10% of the total. Um, And again, that's just one year. Yeah. So that's maybe 400 people. So again, if we're talking about 100 years. It's 1,600 people missing. It's not. Yeah. It just doesn't add up. Um, More than 60% of those take place on land versus river, lake, and ocean. Um, almost 16% are people, this was a really weird thing that I found looking through a lot of these missing people is particularly in that list of cold cases, most of them, almost 16%, which was like the largest percentage besides an age unknown, which seems weird to me too. Hmm. Um, were people between the ages of 20 and 29, Hmm. which I would bet it's because people who were like, you know, you're just old enough to think that you know everything about the world. Yeah. And right. so you're going to overestimate your abilities to do something. And That's you true. might go, you know, take a, go off trail or yeah. climb something that you shouldn't or do something stupid. Go in unprepared. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Go yeah. Unprepared. That makes sense. That'd be my bet. Yeah. Yeah. That was the the majority. Um, And so, yeah, ultimately the, the question here, the unknowable part of this is the three options basically are yes. um some type of corrupt secrecy yep like this is shadow organization yeah some shit is going on in the in the uh national park service right yeah within seems, sort of like the government itself seems like very like low-hanging fruit right but you know maybe some kind of secrecy to cover up the fact that there are so many missing people for whatever the reason is we will get into some potential reasons why you might want to cover that out yeah Maybe they're covering it up because, like, they know it's going to, they're not going to make as much money. Right. People are going to be like, oh, shit. Could be purely capitalist. Could be, yeah. Could be capitalist. Is it just a combination of inefficiency, disorganization, low budget, and bureaucracy? Just bullshit red tape? Or is there something spooky? Whoa. 
So interesting. That's the rundown. That's yeah. Of the topic. We just so <laughs> blew bas- through 25 minutes. <laughs> just basically rundown. the national park service is not doing a great job at tracking or finding people. Yeah. We're going to get murdered for this episode too. Yep. Great. Fuck. We're so on many, so many watch lists. I feel like if we're, this is 33 episodes in and we've talked about some shady things. Yeah. If we haven't gotten killed yet, I have to think again, like, or the, it's like the park it's like, service. It's like Mulder in the X-Files yeah. where he like keeps stirring the pot, but they, they can't take him out because he's too public, you know? Yeah. We're too visible. We're, just, yeah, we're way too visible. Yeah. We got like 400 followers on Instagram guys. Whoa. Actually, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, it's not bad. Shout out to all of our Instagram followers. Thank you. Yeah. We went from like, we just hit 400, like not even a week ago. And all of a sudden we're at 450. It's crazy. Which I don't know where you all came from. Hey. But I love you. I think some of you came from Flat Earth Instagrams yeah. because of that Mud Flood episode. Yeah, that Mud Flood episode really stirred, stirred really some stuff up. Did some stuff, which we thought was kind of funny because if you actually listen to the episode, yeah. we talk about Flat Earth being bullshit. For the record, we are not Flat Earthers. Not Flat Earthers. We are not doing an episode on Flat Earth because it is not unknowable. Exactly. It is very knowable. It's knowable. The Earth is round. Yeah. When we eventually get the transcription of this episode up, it's just going to grab onto Flat Earth and just be like... Great. Yeah. When you search Flat Earth, it's going to be like, unknowable. Yeah. Ugh. Anyways. All right. So. So, David Polides. Yes. Polides? Polite. I think it's Polides. Polides. We actually looked up an interview with him. Yep. Which we probably should have watched more before we recorded this. But. Anyways. We looked up an interview to find out how to pronounce his last name. And so, if we're pronouncing it incorrectly, blame YouTube. Yeah. Not us. I forget who we actually watch on YouTube. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Anyways, he is a big believer in this being something weird. He's arguably like the genesis of this whole sort of like focus on the disappearances of people in national parks and sort of the lack of the lack of like tracking of it. Like he's basically, so he, he wrote like a series of books called like the missing 411. Yep. Which I originally thought was the missing 411 as in like 411 people were missing. Okay. But it's missing 411 as in like there's missing information. Information. Okay. I didn't know that. So I didn't think it was a number of people, but I did not know it was that. So I watched the documentary. Oh, did you? Not for this, but this was separate. I think this might have been why this ended up on the list of topics. Yeah. Because I watched it just on some weird Hulu binge. Nice. A while ago. And it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He seems like a pretty intense dude. Yes. He's a former police detective from San Jose, California. He's the founder of the North America Bigfoot Search. So he started off as a cryptozoologist. Yes. Well, he started off as a police detective and (laughs) then (laughs) branched off. In his, at the beginning of his second life. Yeah. As you do. So, and of course, we've talked about it a million times. Being a believer in the paranormal for a lot of people ruins your credibility. Yes. It's too bad. I actually read several things that were like, if we want to believe him because he founded this Bigfoot thing. And it's like, well, I don't think that. I think of all things like looking for Bigfoot should be scientifically respectable. Yeah. It's no different than trying to find like a new species of tree frog. Exactly. You know, it's just the fact that Bigfoot has, I mean, really when it, I mean, I guess we did the episode of Bigfoot. We did talk about some interdimensional travel, but okay, well, yes, that's just our theory. But anyways, <laughs> Bigfoot really, when you boil it down is yeah, just a potential different species of something. Yeah, exactly. So it's not that bad. So he did that. And then at some point he was out presumably on a Bigfoot search. Sure. I'm guessing the, from the context. Yeah. He was, and he won't say when or where Ooh. for fear that the, the park service will try to put the pieces together and ID these people. Wow. 
but he's like chilling in a motel in Nevada, right? I think all out. I think it was Nevada. Maybe in Nevada. That would make some sense. Um, unnamed motel near an unnamed national park and two out of uniform agents who showed up out of uniform again for fear of being identified claimed that something strange was going on with a number of people missing in America's national parks. Hmm. So the implication here was more in the vein of negligence rather Mm. than like paranormal or criminal. Right. But still they were like, something's wrong here. David Polides is a man after our own heart because he took something that was supposed to be about bureaucratic mismanagement and turned it into a supernatural quest. Yes. Which is, yeah, the way it should be. We like this guy. Yeah. So this was like sort of when he kind of veered off, like he went police detective to like Bigfoot and then he was like, screw that. Yeah. He's gone, he gone pretty hard on this too. Like he's yeah. written like a series of books, like made documentaries yeah. he's working on. Um, he's just like sort of like the main source. When you look this up, you'll either find weird stories of disappearances in national parks or you'll find information directly from David Polides. Oh yeah. He is Polides. by far. I had my notes. This section is believers mm-hmm. and it's only him. <laughs> I mean, not that he's the only one, but he was the right. only person really that I could find that was like a big vocal proponent of like dude mm-hmm. what's going on right um so yeah his obsession kind of shifted and so he launched in 2011 the can-am missing project which catalogs cases of people who disappear i'm assuming in canada and america hence uh, yeah i think so i think so um yeah who disappear or are found on wild lands across north america under what he refers to as mysterious circumstances wow. um and then he self-published i wrote down six but i think it's actually seven wow um, in his missing 411 series, which Good includes man. a documentary, which I watched, which was cool. <laughs> Again, unrelated, right? But related in that it maybe spurred this being a topic, right? I don't know. So, in his opinion, there are some unique factors to not all, but many of these disappearances. Yeah, and this is kind of what connects it together, and kind of like gave me. You know, because going into this, I was slightly skeptical because I was just thinking like, oh, I mean, it's like national parks. They're just inexperienced right. hikers or whatever. Yeah, they're missing people. But this is kind of what gave me some, some uh, like, you know, made me cock my head and think, huh. Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah. What's happening here? Um. So one of the recurring characteristics is dogs unable to track sense. Yeah. Or like refusing to continue. To yeah. Like sit and no longer want to f- keep going on the trail. Which is interesting. It's weird. I trust dogs. I trust dogs. Yeah. We... Dogs. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Dogs know. They know. Dogs know everything. They pick up on vibes. Yeah. If I'm going somewhere and my dog doesn't want to keep going, mm-hmm. I'm not going to keep going. Right. I don't know better than she does. Exactly. Um, the time, late afternoon is a really popular window to vanish. Mm-hmm. Of course, all these things have other explanations. Of but, course. Um, many victims are found with their clothing and footwear removed. Yeah. Now, is this just the, we talked about in the, uh, was it diet love pass episode? Yep. I think we talked about the paradoxical undressing mm-hmm. where in the process of being exposed to the elements or particularly freezing, yep. your body has the opposite feeling of like you're burning Heat. up. Yeah. So you take off your clothes, which seems odd. You're in the snow, but that was some of the hikers at diet love pass yep. were found without clothing too. Yep. Um, but part of the weird thing is that a lot of these people are found, I guess this is a supporter of that, but they're found with their clothing removed, but not, damaged yeah it's not like a wild animal rip them off right it's just like they're just kind of set nicely somewhere he described it as either like neatly folded or in some cases like as if somebody had just vanished and their clothes just sort of like drooped to the ground yeah 
I think he even used the word melted in one instance. Melted, yeah. Which I was really curious about because I'm like, wait a second. Hold on. Back up. Wait a minute. Was there like melted flesh? But no, he just, yeah, not the best choice of words. Yeah. But I get it. I get it. Yeah. Like if you just, if you disappeared and your clothes just fell to the ground. Yeah. I think there was one case of a kid where his shoes, I think, maybe were found Mm. not scattered and not even like not even that dirty, but they were just kind of set next to each other somewhere. Right. Which is freaky. It's very odd. Um, there were oftentimes bodies discovered in previously searched areas with an odd frequency. Yeah. Sometimes even right around like, um, along the trail. So yeah. a place that would be very obviously searched. Yeah. This counts for people who are dressed in something very recognizable, like right. a red jacket or something where mm-hmm. it's not like you'd be on that trail and you wouldn't notice it. Right. Um, which is interesting. Children and Various remains are occasionally found improbable distances from the point last seen in improbable terrain. Yeah, there's a few. There's a few of those. Like that one guy ended up on like the whole. Like he started off in the east coast of the United States, and he ended up in like the west coast. Yes, dude, that is one of my yeah. things I'm going like to talk about. Wild. It's my favorite. Yeah. Holy shit! Yeah, kids. There. Uh, I think one of the kids on the missing four eleven four one one whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, David. Um, I'm pretty sure I remember one of the kids. Yeah, was up this crazy like side of a hill that was like a decent grade and it was all just like giant rocks and boulders and stuff like mm-hmm. hard even for a seasoned adult hiker, right? let alone a kid. So things like that just are odd where it's like, did an animal drag them up there? But then there's generally not any evidence of an animal dragging them because that tends to leave various pieces of evidence behind right but just places where you're like how the heck would that kid get up there um i guess the disabled are overrepresented overrepresented in the number of the missing mm-hmm. um and he seems to have noticed how many times a storm seems to conveniently come by right after somebody goes missing right it's interesting it is interesting is that just you know i know that there are places especially in some national parks where like you're on a mountain mm-hmm. where storms are just more frequent right. and can rush in really quickly. Is it correlation uh, or is it causation? Exactly. When we went to the Grand Canyon, yeah. it was, I feel like a time of year where snow wasn't super common. Right. And I remember we did this whole day and it wasn't like summer warm, but it was like at least 60, 65 degrees, like right. nice day. And we did the whole thing. And then we were on this little tour bus. And at some point it just starts snowing. Out of nowhere. And I remember the tour buses were like communicating with each other. Like, what are we going to do? We have like a few more stops. Like it's getting crazy out there. Like it was like hard to see. We got back to the car covered in snow. It's crazy. It was nuts. So, I mean, maybe that's just a thing. Yeah. In some of these parks where that just happens. You know, again, like national parks tend to be sort of like unique, untouched wildernesses that we preserve. And so, you know, there being like sort of extreme weather would make sense. Yeah. At most of them. Right. Again, especially like on mountains. I mean, for some reason, my husband and I have watched like a inordinate number of um, Mount Everest documentaries. Nice. <laughs> if we're just really into it. Yeah. And um, it seems like it can be a pretty common thing for us, like stuff to just swoop in. Out of nowhere. But still, the, it's generally like people are looking at weather and they can see that it's coming. It's not like it's just like out of nowhere. Right. Um, but it does seem just odd that like a lot of these people go missing and then, oops, there's a storm. And then, oops, there goes your evidence. Yep. Can't find a new. And then they show up later and they're right on the trail. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then the other weird thing was that he notices how often people go missing while either eating or picking berries or are found in berry bushes. That was very interesting. Right. Because it's so, I mean, I guess, so you have the whole survival idea that, um, so for one, I would, it would make sense that people went missing looking for berries because you're looking for berries, you find some, you keep your head down, you're just walking, picking berries, you're not looking yep. at where you're going. That would make sense. Or if you're lost, you would find berries and try to eat them because you're starving. Yep. But um, that is, that's a weird, it's apparently a high enough like instance of people being found with a connection to berries that yeah. is worth noting. Which is interesting. Yeah, I thought it was odd. And it's like literally every one of these things, which is part of what is fascinating to me about this topic, yeah. is that every one of those can be easily explained by mm-hmm. something totally normal. Right. Um, the disabled being overrepresented. Yeah. That seems to make sense to me that somebody who's already going into it with a physical disability right. would be more likely to go missing mm-hmm. or end up dead. Or would they be less? Because would somebody with a physical disability be less likely to try something more? Or like, would they like have sort of like, you know, somebody with them right. just in case? Less uh, likely to be alone? I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. The berries, like you just said, like, Somebody found in a berry bush, they could be lost and tired and mm-hmm. overexposed. And then maybe they were in the bushes eating berries. And when they finally succumbed to whatever, mm-hmm. maybe especially if they're if our theme could be that a lot of these people going missing are unprepared or inexperienced. Right. They could have eaten the wrong berries. Exactly. I don't know the official cause of death for a lot of these people. Could right. it have been poisoning from these berries mm-hmm. or maybe not directly poisoning, but I know some berries... Yeah, they poison you, but it's not in the sense that maybe you'd find, I don't know if you'd find it in their system if like they got sick, right? you know, if like they're already dehydrated and they already haven't eaten Mm -hmm. and then you get sick and you're having like diarrhea from these berries, like that could kill you. I don't know. Or are the berries a food source for some unknown cryptid or like something? We're going there. We're going there. (laughs) You knew we were going to go there. Oh yeah. So yeah, this dude, David Polites. Sure has a large map of North America on his office wall. He has identified 59 clusters of people missing on federal wildlands in the U.S. and southern Canada. Mm-hmm. So to qualify as a cluster, there needs to be at least four cases. Um, so in his, according to his research, if you want to know which parks to avoid, mm-hmm. um, or just to be really careful in, right. Yosemite, Crater Lake, Yellowstone, Grand Canyon, and Rocky Mountain National Parks. And part of me thinks that that would be because those are the most popular ones that I can right. think of. And yeah. so it's probably the ones where there's the highest amount of traffic. True. So, so again, yeah. everything is so easily explained oh, and yeah. yet not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He has spent hundreds of hours writing letters and freedom of information act requests in an attempt to break through the red tape of the national park service. Whoa. At one point he was told it would cost him 1.4 million in fees to obtain a list of unsolved cases. Seems That's exorbitant. Insane. Um, he believes that the Park Service in particular knows exactly how many people are missing. Mm-hmm. And they won't really see information for fear that the sheer numbers and the ways in which people went missing, which is interesting too, um, would shock the public so badly that visitor numbers would decrease drastically. So as we <laughs> talked about, just straight up capitalism. Capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, he believes having this list and the locations and areas involved could boost safety. Um, increasing the public's awareness of potential threats like avalanche or topographic issues, making hiking particularly dangerous in some spots mm-hmm. or parks where there might be a rash of missing persons. Maybe you just want to avoid that, which again, the park service might not want people to know that a particular park has a lot of missing people because right. they wouldn't go. Um, so yeah, 
that's essentially that dude. So that's that's David Polides. He's uh he's sort of we're gonna reference him a few more times, I'm sure. Oh yeah. But he's the sort of genesis of this whole idea. The genesis. So let's get into some of these these missing so I found it interesting. So like I read like a lot of like the overviews of it and mm. that got me intrigued. But you know, again, we've already kind of um nitpicked some of the theories of what could be happening. Because it's easy to do in the abstract. Yeah. But when you start to get into like the specifics of a specific case, yes. it's harder to sort of debunk. And you start to realize like, huh, like yeah. what is that? That's right. not what I thought. I can't explain that. Right. And there are a lot of cases. These are just a few yeah. interesting ones. Right. Um, so did you happen to read about a boy named Joe? Shit, what's his last name? Damn. Oh, man. Irresponsible. Yep. Well, he went missing um, at that state park that I mentioned before in southwestern Colorado. Yep. He had been on a road trip with some college buddies. They landed at Rainbow Trout Ranch <laughs> after 24 hours straight of driving. Wow. Um, yeah, they were doing this like crazy road trip, whatever. He hadn't slept for over a day and had just split wood with his uncle's father. And then him and one of the buddies went on a little pre-dinner run. Decided to check out the landscape. And they split at some point. I think they were, I don't know, different paces or whatever. He wanted to go check out some different stuff. Right. And so Joe disappeared. And then his friend finished his run and didn't see him. So he went back to the ranch and Joe never came back. Um, <clears throat> the man who eventually found Joe's body. This was, I think, a year after he went missing. Wow. Um. He found him in a boulder field below a cliff band. So the guy who found him is an endurance runner. <laughs> it took him about an hour just to get to the base of this cliff. Wow. And that is from the 2.5 mile mark where the boys split off. So this means that he was already two and a half miles into a run mm-hmm. and then potentially ran another hour, maybe more if this kid was like, I don't know if this kid was faster or slower than this right. endurance runner, but let's assume that he's maybe slower. Mm-hmm ran over another hour to get to this place. And then not to mention that the fact that he would have had to climb the cliff itself because he was found dead from like blunt force trauma to the head and had, I think a broken ankle or something with his ankle. Um, so that was kind of odd Yeah, that like, why? It's a weird like combination of circumstances. Yeah. His mom insists that he did not like heights, that he was not a climber. So it just seems weird that he would have done that, especially again, like he had just been on this long road trip. Right. I mean, personally, I can't imagine driving driving for that long and then splitting wood and then being like, I'm going to go for a run. Yeah. And then I'm going to climb this cliff after running for another hour after splitting off. Like a two and a half mile run. I mean, if you're a decently fast runner, that doesn't take long. Right. But then why, even if you split off, would you go that far in a different direction and then climb a cliff? It's weird. So that's a little bizarre. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my first weird guy. Nice. All right. I've got, so Danny Philippitis. Yes. Philippitis. Oh yeah. This was my, this is the one that got me intrigued. (laughs) So he was a uh, 49 year old Toronto fire captain. Mm -hmm. Um, he was on an annual ski trip with his friends in Lake Placid, New York, East coast of the United States. East coast. Um, after a day of skiing, they were going to go for one last run and then meet him at the bottom. Never met him at the bottom. Nope. Never showed up. Um, they uh, found his car in the parking lot. Um, they couldn't contact him via cell phone. Friends and family reported him missing. Um, 
for like six days they were looking for this dude. 7,000 man hours of helicopter search and rescue, snowmobiles, um, digging through snow. He ended up showing up 2,900 miles away in Sacramento, California. It's insane. Okay, so he started in New York, shows up six days later in Sacramento, California, unaware of how he got there, aside from vague memories of sleeping in a big rig truck. I'm going to put big rig truck in quotation marks. Yeah. Um, He was still wearing the same ski outfit, including helmet and goggles, and he had purchased a cell phone and got a haircut. Yeah. So what? Like, Like, what? Yeah, that was... I the, heard, like one story that I read that I was just like, I cannot. Some people were like, oh, like, so like, you know, if you have like a concussion, you might do things and not remember it. And I would buy that if he turned up, I don't know, 10 miles away. Right. Like even if he showed up like in Maine or something, you know what I mean? Like relatively close, but like a six day journey to freaking California. Right. I don't buy that. Where like, he, he, presumably and he doesn't remember it. Hitchhiked, I right. guess. In a big, in a big rig truck. Yeah. There's probably not. I mean, I guess it's possible because I know there are truck you know people do cross-country deliveries or whatever but Mm -hmm. i would have to assume that it's maybe not as likely that he got in one truck and went all the way there right that that he was like hitching rides all over that would be like an active you'd have to (laughs) actively know where you are how to get to where you're going you'd have to communicate with multiple people and be like hey are you going towards the west coast it would it would take a lot of presence of mind over the course of those six days to get there yeah and why sacramento and he's still in all of his gear like Did nobody at any point be like, what, what? Right. Like, who is this dude? Hot. Like, that would be so hot. Like, trying to wear, like, all your ski gear. Yeah. In I mean, various different climates. Big rig truck. Like, I don't know. Maybe he's just, maybe, um, you know, when it comes to alien abductions, um, either in the idea of implanted memories mm-hmm. or, like, he's misremembering the inside of a spacecraft. And exactly. the closest approximation his brain could come up with was a big rig truck. Yeah. I'm not saying. I'm just I'm not just saying, saying, but just saying. It could have been an abduction. It could have been. Yeah, that one blew my mind the most. Yeah. I have no theories whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I really don't think that he just fell and got a concussion and ended up in California. No. But I have that. no idea what happened. Right. Maybe it is he. It's insane. Sadly, none of the other stories measure up to that one, but they're pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a pretty classic story that actually was on an episode of unsolved mysteries Ooh. uh bessie and glenn hyde mm-hmm. disappeared from grand canyon national park in 1928 um they were honeymooning and traveling down the colorado river mm-hmm. which is quite nice in october and they planned to boat through the grand canyon if they had succeeded bessie would have been the first woman to do so successfully Whoa. um so i guess glenn had done this before this type of thing before anyways but bessie was like a kind of a newbie and they had run across some other boaters a few weeks before their disappearance who got the impression that Bessie wanted to turn back, but that Glenn was like pushing her onward. Mm-hmm. There was some mention of like, if they succeeded there being some type of like interviews happening, maybe because of her being the first woman. Right. So I think there was some money at stake mm. potentially here. Um, so that winter, their boat was discovered seemingly undisturbed. Whoa. It was upright and full of supplies, but the couple was gone. Whoa. So supposedly according to my research and the unsolved mysteries episode <laughs> um i think it's like one of the first episodes too um supposedly there have been sightings of bessie but not confirmed people believe that they have seen her <laughs> in the grand canyon area and there was even i think there was a story that was something like a group of hikers or something were like 
doing some kind of tour. They were doing like some kind of guided something, I think. And like somebody in the group confessed that she was Bessie Hyde. Whoa. And they were like, what? But then again, anybody could say that. Exactly. That's just like somebody could say that they were like Amelia Earhart. Right. You don't know. People did. People, people did. So I thought that was a cool one though. Like, did they get abducted? Mm-hmm. And then the, the use of the word abducted in this whole research too is interesting because of oh, yeah. course there's the obvious abducted by people mm-hmm. or were they abducted by aliens? Aliens. I don't you know. know. I mean, I don't know. the more I read about this, the more I think about like, you know, clearly, um, staying hidden is important to extraterrestrials that are visiting this earth. Yeah. If they exist, um, because we don't have any confirmation that they do exist and therefore staying hidden must be part of their sort of whole deal. So, um, you know, where are you going to find a high concentration of humans far away from other humans? National parks, national parks, kind of perfect. Again, with them potentially yeah, being, in the wilderness away from anybody near them to mm-hmm. even witness anything. You could just be doing abductions during the day. Who right. gives a shit? Exactly. Nobody's, Nobody's going to see you. And then you just drop them back off. Wait, where do we get this guy from? Sacramento? Yeah. yeah shit. Yeah, sure. close enough. Yeah, close enough. Yeah. Again, yeah, people showing up miles away from where they went missing mm-hmm. in weird spots they couldn't get to. The aliens weirdly, don't know. Weirdly calm and cool about it. Yeah. Um. All right, here's another one. So the disappearance of Dennis Martin. Oh, yes. Damn you. In Great you know, Smoky Mountain. <laughs> the hell, man. <laughs> Look. Um, Look. Do you want to take this one? No, go okay. ahead. Okay. Just take all the so, ones. Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Yep. June 14th, 1969. So Martin was out with his family um, on the Appalachian Trail and between North Carolina and Tennessee. He was playing with his nine-year-old brother. Another family came along. They asked if they could play together. Um, when the kids were playing hide-and-seek, um, Dennis's father watched his son until he hid in the bushes for a few minutes and he basically disappeared. Um, what's weird is that um, another dude who was hiking the Appalachian Trail uh, heard a loud, sickening scream mm. and his son pointed out to his father that he saw a bear running through the woods, but his father said the figure looked more like a large, rugged man trying to remain hidden in the brush. Oh, shit. Which is super disturbing yeah, in and of itself. Um, after they heard about the Dennis Martin's disappearance while playing um, hide-and-seek, he reported it. Um, Key reported his family sighting of an unkempt man running through the woods, though the FBI dismissed it, saying it was too far away to draw a, con- a connection. Mm, yeah, it was like five miles or something. I don't know. That yeah, I don't seems- know does not seem like that's all the whole story there. No, this was like a huge search effort too. This right. was up to 1400 people were involved. Um, I think even as of this year, it's like still the largest search in the history of the great smoky mountains national park. Wow. Um, and yeah, again with the weird storms, mm-hmm. the night that he went missing, like that was afternoon or whatever. Um, that night there was like a huge rainfall. It was like several inches of rain, right. which effectively, got rid of any, I don't know how long I, the story that I read said that when they knew he went missing, they kind of searched on their own for a couple hours, but then they were like, Oh shit. And called in the park service. Right. And so I don't know how long there was even an official search before the rain kicked in. Right. So, um, yeah. And yeah. Oh, and the people who said they saw the weird hairy man. Yeah. Uh, the kid went missing wearing something red, a red shirt, I think. Right. And the, 
whoever was slumped over this guy's shoulder was wearing something red. Whoa. Yeah. Man. So according to Polides, um, the National Park Service is aware of, quote, wild men who live off the grid in the woods of Appalachia and other forests around the country. Mm. These wild men clothe themselves in animal pelts, hence the boy's confusion seeing a bear. Damn, dude. And so apparently this is like a known thing to the park service that there's just these people who live off the grid. Jesus. That's like what? Yeah, what? That's like a known thing? Right. It's just maybe yeah. maybe that's part of the whole conspiracy here is that like the National Park Service knows about a lot of these people who live off the grid outside of society who are living in these national parks because they're protected areas where they know that humans aren't going to encroach. And maybe a lot of these disappearances do have to do with these like weird wild men. Right. And they are, yeah, covering this up because they're, you know, and like, how are you going to find these wild men and do anything about it? You're just like, I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. Another kid went missing. Right. Oh shit. It was probably a bobcat. Yeah. It had to have been. It's so easy. That, that's the thing too about this entire topic is that it, because it's so easy to write it off as a million other things, mm-hmm. you have to be somebody who's really looking for that thread of consistency right? to notice. And even then, I mean, the parks are pretty similar. People hiking are pretty similar. It's a lot of similar circumstances just by nature of people generally are out there hiking or camping or whatever. There's not a whole lot of diversity in that sense. So drawing conclusions of like, Oh, these have common threads. is like, well, they're going to right but it does seem like there's something weirder afoot um there was of course so throwback to our bennington triangle episode um paula weldon was a college girl high school Mm. or college age um disappeared in the green mountain national forest during Mm. like a casual afternoon stroll in 1946 Yep. don't remember the exact details but i remember she was like dressed very casually like not like she was going for a hike but she just, you know, was like, oh, just going to go for a little walk. And there was something like a another hiker saw her shortly up ahead. And it was like a situation where she turned. Paula went around the bend and the other hiker was very short, shortly behind her and mm-hmm. went around the same bend. And just she was just gone. gone. Um, if I recall correctly, she was wearing red, too. Hmm. That's actually kind of an odd it is thread, I think, too. Um, but yeah, just gone. Um, and there was eight year old Catherine Van Alst disappeared from devil's den state park near arkansas's ozark national forest mm-hmm. camping with her family uh she was playing with her brothers and she wandered off and got lost the weird thing you mentioned with abductions people being found being very calm yes she was found after six days in the woods yeah. and the student who assisted in the search reported that when they found her she just stoically walked out of a cave and just said here i am yeah so creepy. Which, like, just gave me the chill saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, so some suspect abduction, again, more traditional abduction. Mm-hmm. But is it something a little more paranormal, right. the abduction there? Because I would think, if anything, I mean, of course, there are stories of people being abducted by humans mm-hmm. and having terrible things done and being calm as sort of like that psychological defense mechanism of just, like, right. shutting down. Disassociating. Yeah. Or is it, again, like these sort of implanted memories? Yeah. She is very calm when they find her because she doesn't remember being gone. Right. A little strange. It's freaky. Yeah. Um, You got any other cool ones? I got um, Jared Negrete. Negrete. Oh, yeah. I didn't have um, that on my list. In 1991, Boy Scout uh, went on his first 
overnight camping trip with his church in San Bernardino National Forest in California. Okay. So 12-year-old Jack Negrete was apparently pretty shy and pudgy kid, which I don't know why they had to include that. Yeah, right. Just, just got to talk shit about this missing child. Yeah, Jesus. Um, so he was with five other scouts and a troop leader. Um, they were hiking up Mount San Gorgonio? Gorgonio? Sure. Oh, God, I just butchered that. I just butchered it. Um, so they were hiking up there. Jared fell behind the group. Um, differing reports have him either wandering off the trail, falling behind after stopping to tie his shoe, um, whatever. He was basically never seen again. Um, they went super far and um, searching for him as far west as like Malibu. And they ended up turning up his backpack, candy wrappers, beef jerky, and a camera. Hmm. Twelve photographs were developed, mostly landscapes, but the last one was of Jared's eye and nose taken after he went missing. Camera was discovered in the same area as the other items, but after a 16-day search that included five helicopters, never found. Wow. So it seems strange that he would be taking – why would he take a photo of like his, his face and nose? Right. Just seems strange. Yeah, that I know that struck me. I do remember reading that now, and that struck me as odd too. And I like just there's no reason why. Yeah. But just that freaked me out as being his last photograph. Yeah, after he went missing too. So it's definitely like I don't know. It just seemed like he was wandering around. Yeah. Or was it an accident? Who knows what he was doing? Did he take the photo? Right. Ugh. Creeps. Um, so I've got David Gonzalez, nine years old. Went missing from Big Bear Lake campsite in Northern California's San Bernardino Forest National Forest. San Bernardino National Forest again. Yeah, again. Uh, this was 2004. So they're chilling at their campsite, mm-hmm. pretty close to the uh, parking area. He asked his mother for the car keys because there was some cookies in the car. Like I feel you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, I'm hungry. This was apparently like 50 yards away. Was the car? Wow. She watched him as he walked to the parking lot. Turned around, she said, like, just for, like, a minute or two. Turned back, and he was gone. Hmm. Um, She reported that she heard no sound at all, though she did see a beige truck speeding out of the campground around the time that he went missing. Hmm. But that was never pursued because there were no signs of abduction. Um, The van was still locked, so he never even made it to the car. And they searched for nine days. Um, His remains weren't found until a year later when hikers stumbled upon them. And this Hmm. wasn't his full remains. This was, like a skull and some parts of his skeleton Wow. Um, about a mile from the campsite. So initially they were just like, Oh yeah, mountain lion attack. But they did a forensic examination and it showed no evidence that a mountain lion or any other wild animal killed this child. So hmm. again, who knows? Like kids, I'm sure get distracted easily. Mm-hmm. He's heading to the car and sees something. I have to think, I mean, he, is nine. He's not like a three-year-old who can like, oops, I'm lost in the woods really quickly. Like I would think a nine-year-old, even if he saw something cool, like in the entrance of the woods and was like, Oh, I'm going to go check that out. That he like, wouldn't get that lost that quickly and just be gone. Mm -hmm. Especially again, like her, his mom, it's not like he went out for a solo hike and didn't come back and you don't know where he was. Like his mom literally turned around and he was gone and they like immediately started searching. Mm -hmm. So, like, how far could he in have like gotten? A, in, like, a campsite that has a parking lot. Yeah, so campsite like with a parking like lot. In, like, in, like, the deep woods, you're in, like, you know, a relatively, like, civilized part of it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you're not deep in the woods. And this wasn't a delayed search. This wasn't, we have no idea where he was last seen. This is, like, he was literally last seen right here. Right. Two minutes ago. 
and now he's just gone. Hmm. Um, so that was kind of a weird one. And again, like very easy to just chalk up to like, oh yeah, like a, but even then, like, am I really supposed to believe not a mountain lion expert, <laughs> but am I really supposed to believe that a mountain lion saw this kid in like a parking lot? Right. And I don't know how many cars there were. If this was like, obviously there weren't other people in the parking lot at the time. Right. Was this like, they were the only car who knows, but I don't really buy that a mountain lion just swooped out from the woods and grabbed him and then just swooped back in, in the two minutes it took. And like, would he, wouldn't he have screamed Mm -hmm. something? She heard nothing. He was just gone. I think of any of like the mundane explanations, the beige truck being just somebody abducting him, but then his, his remains being found a mile away, unless somebody, you know, abducted him, murdered him and then dumped his body close to where he was abducted. Like as a, as like a ritual almost or something. Yeah. But I, I I don't understand why you would return to the scene of your abduction to dump a body. Yeah. Unless I have read a statistic about like when children are abducted, sometimes somebody will abduct the child, do what they got to do with that child real quick and then immediately kill them. And it'll be within like a half hour. Oh man. So they just do their thing and then just dump them right on, right there, like really close to where they are abducted. Damn. So that's rough. Not supernatural, but super dark. Yeah. Super, super dark. Yeah, so who knows? That was a weird one. I think, if I recall correctly, I don't know if that was the, there was a case of a kid that was similar to that, maybe was that case on the Missing 411 mm. documentary. I do remember there being a case of a kid like that where it was like a very quick disappearance. I remember there being more people involved. It was like a grandfather or something. Um, so either there was a very similar case to that or that was the one on there, but I remember it being a super weird <laughs> scenario of like, Literally somebody turned around and turned back and the kid's gone. Um, yeah. And then the last one that I had was actually I have two more. Do you have any more? No, I don't have any more okay. missing persons. I've got uh, one of the popular ones was this dude, Dale Staling, which didn't seem like the weirdest story to me. He was a 51 year old Texan. He was in, uh, or on Mesa Verde's Petroglyph Point Trail mm. on a 100 degree afternoon. Oh yeah, I remember this one. Yeah, June 2013. Um, this is one of the few that's actually on the cold cases list. Right. By the way, I've been to Mesa Verde Park. It's very surreal. Really? There's like a weird like energy there. Mm. You know, it's like one of those places where you go there and you just kind of feel like you're being watched, or yeah. there's there's it, there's like a presence there. Maybe you are being watched. Isn't that weird? By the end of the X Files took place too. I'm not sure actually. I think so. Just saying, not saying, I'm just Shout saying out the X-Files as always, as always. So yeah, the trail was pretty moderate, but he, it was hot out. He had no water with him. Um, at the petroglyphs, which is where he was last seen, there's an intersection with an old access trail where his wife, Deneen, her name is spelled D E N E A N, um, believes he may have left the main trail. She said, if there was a way to get lost, Dale would find it. Um, classic Dale, but the, thought is that even if he had taken the wrong path he would have realized his mistake and backtracked um but even if he didn't and collapsed in the heat rangers searched that area extensively on foot with dogs and in helicopters and there was no sign of him um they sent climbers rappelling down cliffy areas they collected an entire trunks worth of knapsacks cameras water bottles like none of them were dales um this park superintendent, Cliff Spencer, a 32-year Park Service veteran, says, in all my years with the Park Service, I don't recall five cases like this. <laughs> so it's just odd that, though that quote by his wife, like, freaked me out because that's how I would describe Nate. <laughs> so I'm like, 
Yep. Again, he, oh yeah, he did make us think that he disappeared when we were at the Grand Canyon too. Jeez, sucker. We went into, so obviously the Grand Canyon versus Maine is a bit higher in altitude. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of adjustment being there because we had gone to Las Vegas, which even that is a bit higher in altitude, but then mm -hmm. going to the Grand Canyon was like even more so. I very, like remember being there and being like, man, going upstairs is like hard. Yeah. And this was like around the peak of like my fitness stage of life. Right. Where I was in great shape. So I was like, holy shit, I can't even like climb these stairs. Right. We were in this weird tiny gift shop in the Grand Canyon National Park. And it was just like tripping Nate out. Like the altitude and like the ceiling was really low. And he was just like, I got to get out of here. And so he left the gift shop. And then I go outside to like see where he is if he's okay. Because he's also the type of person that will just stand on like the edge of things. <laughs> he's like so precarious. Mm -hmm. If we go to like any place that has rocks to climb on, he like goes and jumps out to like the most narrow, like precarious, dangerous point. Yeah. And so I'm like, great. Nate is now like lightheaded from altitude. And now he's just going to go sit on a cliff. Mm -hmm. And you look down some of those cliffs and it's like, Oh yeah. Again, in, in favor of this being the mundane, some of those cliffs, man, like if you fall down there, Oh yeah, you're done. You're fucking gone. Somebody and, just died like a month or two ago falling into the grand Canyon. Yeah. Like that's just it. Mm -hmm. And again, he did his classic thing where he just left the gift shop mm -hmm. and we're like looking for him and he had just wandered off. Classic. And I don't even remember where he turned up. He had like gone to go to the bathroom or something somewhere and, but just didn't think to give us a heads up of like, Oh, Hey, right. I didn't fall to my death down a cliff. I'm just going to take a shit or something. Yeah. But classic. Yeah. So that's two stories about you thinking that Nate was missing forever. Yeah. I think those are the only two, but yeah. Nice. Not fun. Um, and then another story, uh, Glacier National Park, Montana's Rocky Mountains, mm -hmm. a story of one of the most exhaustive searches to ever take place in a national park. The Whitehead Brothers, unfortunate name. That is a terrible name. Joseph and William, both in their 20s, went missing somewhere in the dense forest in the summer of 1924. Hmm. Um, by all accounts, especially from their daily letters home to their mother. Dude. Wow. Wow. Um, the boys were quote, cautious and conservative at one point writing quote, we are enjoying ourselves very much and taking no chance of injuring ourselves, <laughs> which on one hand, I'm like, Oh, like very careful boys. But on the other hand, you're like, that sounds like something, somebody who's not being cautious. Exactly. Say. Like we're taking no chance of injury. Like, why would you even say that? <laughs> That's a weird, I mean, it was 1924. So they're all, yeah. they're all old time. You got to say it with like a, a transatlantic accent. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, maybe they were really careful, or maybe they were just like, we totally are not like smoking yeah. weed out here, mom. Right. We definitely doing like, like opium because it's yeah. 1924. Yeah. Who knows what they're doing? Um. So they had planned one last big hike, 20 miles from the chalet to Lewis Hotel, which is now the Lake McDonald Lodge, um, and planned to board the Great Northern Railroad's Oriental Limited home to Chicago as soon as it was completed, but they never made it. I think like it even said their mom like went to the train station to wait for them and they just never. It's kind of sad. Were there is really sad. Um, they had last been seen about 10 miles from their destination by other hikers along the trail. President Calvin Coolidge wired the park and advised rangers to spare no expense. Wow. Like who were these kids? Right. Um, even J. Edgar Hoover himself, the director of the FBI, became involved, but no clues about their disappearance ever emerged. So some believed it was like a natural end and others believe that maybe it was some type of criminal bootlegger hmm. situation. I don't know. But yeah, 
they're gone. Interesting. Gone forever. Um, so those are some, some of the many strange cases. Um, Ooh, and you might have stolen my cool cross country missing thing, but I've got a little follow up. Nice. Related to David Polides. Oh yeah. Polides. Polides. Close enough. Yes. He knows what we mean. Um, so you talked about Dennis Martin mm-hmm. to recap the kid who was playing hide and seek and disappeared. Throwing and maybe the shoulder got, of a wild man. <laughs> yeah. Taken by, uh, I'm like giggling now too. Cause we refer to my son Julian as wild man. Sometimes <laughs> he's, so. he's going to grow up to abduct children <laughs> in the in national parks. Great. Um, so Polites made a cold call to the parents of Dennis Martin one day to just chat just chat about their son's disappearance. As one does. As one does. Apparently they had not talked about it publicly for a long time, as one also probably does. Mm-hmm. Um, Dennis Martin's father told Polites that local news agencies didn't report that seemingly very significant fact that the other campers had seen this strange man with a, looking like a child over his shoulder. Right. Um, and he also brought up the fact that there have been 12 other disappearances in that area since his son's with a single FBI agent assigned to them all until that agent committed suicide one yes. day. What the fuck? Right? Shit. That's like some X-Files shit. That is totally some X-Files shit. He, he, he killed himself just like Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. Yeah. He knew some shit. Which means he did it. He totally <laughs> did. Great. Yeah. It's crazy. So, some shit's going on. Yeah. So, I guess the, so I guess the, the conclusion to be drawn here from... Apologies, hmm. is that um, there's sort of this overarching either negligence or like conspiracy to conceal all of these disappearances. Yeah. And like, you know, why is that being like covered up? That's what's that's what's open for interpretation. He's never really come out and said like, oh, I think it's this or I think it's that. Exactly. Um, which is interesting because I feel like people who make this like their life's goal, they usually like have a pretty firm like answer you know what i mean like oh it's got to be this and he's unique because he just says i'm just asking questions man which is kind of cool i respect that when we like so the skeptic side of it is not really anything in particular except things we've kind of already talked about Mm -hmm. where these really aren't unusual at all yeah these are acres upon acres upon millions of acres of land Mm -hmm. that are oftentimes like very densely covered Mm mm-hmm there's unusual weather. Yeah. There are people like we've talked about who are inexperienced, mm-hmm. unprepared yeah. there. I mean, again, even my fucking husband, mm-hmm. he won't hear this cause he doesn't hear the like meat of the stories. He yeah. hears like the beginning and the end. Yeah. So he's not going to hear this, but he is somebody who I think if I didn't prompt him more, would totally go on hikes way more often with like not much with right. him. Cause he just thinks he assumes he'll be fine. Oh yeah. He's the person where you have to be like, do you have enough water? Mm-hmm. How many snacks are you bringing? Right. Like double that. Mm-hmm. Eat when you don't think you're hungry. Yeah. He went on a hike last summer, I think, where he got really like dizzy and lightheaded towards the end and had to like lay down for a while before mm-hmm. they left because he was so yeah. hungry and exhausted. It's, and I was like, I told you, you. You don't realize how how like exhausting it can be to hike certain things, especially oh, yeah. when you throw in like hot weather or whatever you're wearing or pre-existing sort of like conditions. Yeah. So there's literally probably a hundred different factors yeah. that go into this. Yeah. Weird weather, heat, cold. People don't realize some, especially if you're in a state that you aren't native to, mm-hmm. even if you are yeah. again, the being on the mountains can be a very different experience oh, yeah. 
versus being not in the mountains. Things can change very quickly. It can be very decent, mild temperatures during the day and then go to freezing or below at night. Um, Actually, that was what they mentioned with the Paula Weldon thing in Vermont being that it was like a completely normal, like wear a light jacket kind of day, but then it was going to go below freezing at night. Right. So there might be people who just aren't aware of that, who aren't yep. dressed properly. Yeah, you could have a pre-existing medical condition. Mm-hmm. You could run out of food. There's could, like weird predators, like yeah. you know, like wolves in Yosemite National Park and stuff in Yellowstone. Oh, yeah. Again, you might not be familiar yeah. with that, or you might might not matter if you're familiar at all. Right. Um, you could pretty easily injure yourself, oh, yeah. especially if you're not wearing the proper like footwear. Mm-hmm. It isn't that hard to like step wrong on a rock and sprain your ankle. Right. And then if you're all alone. Right. And it's nearing dark. Like, what are you supposed to do? Um, there's like a million different things. And there's even potentially people going out there getting lost on purpose mm-hmm. or committing suicide. Right. Um, there. Yeah. You could pretty easily fall. You could slip down a rock mm-hmm. side. You can become immobilized somehow. There's a lot of drownings that happen in national parks. Yeah. Um, Just a generally dangerous place to be. Yeah, it's a dangerous place to be, especially even for people who are experienced, who have everything they need. Shit can still happen. But if you go into it as a 20-year-old who's like, I'm never going to die. Right. And then maybe you die. Um, And there are people who think that Polites maybe is a little bit of a charlatan. Hmm. That the fact that he is so vague about what he thinks is going on is just him keeping things little bit in the gray area so that people will continue to buy his books right because they want to know what he thinks they want to know more information he is directly financially profiting off this idea he is so there is that idea i'm not saying that i subscribe to that but that's right. some of the skeptics that's that's side that's something to take into account when it is thinking about this yeah if you're gonna be making money off of these books and these documentaries like yes sure i i want to believe <laughs> Always. like the theme of my life exactly the theme of both of our lives Same. that i want to believe that he is in this for the reason of like let's draw attention to this because it's weird yeah and i think it's in some ways very brave yeah to say i don't know why right. like exactly. that's kind of cool to be like not going out there being like it's definitely this right. but just saying like this is weird i'm just asking the questions yeah these are the yeah. questions What's going on? There's these weird connections. There's these weird groupings of missing people. Why is that? And why is the government not doing a better job at helping these families essentially Mm -hmm. and helping to like to establish a system in which we can, I don't know, better organize this data so that we can see if there are connections. Like maybe there are parts of parks that are dangerous enough that we need to have some type of warning right. about like people often go missing here or right. end up dead here. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there is some suspicion of like, we didn't even talk about like serial killers, serial killers and uh, drug cartels. Yeah. Two sort of more interesting mundane potential things. Yeah. Yeah. The serial killer could very easily be operating within, um, you know, like the national park system. Yeah. And, you know, if you just kind of went around, if there's 61 national parks, you could go to a different one you know, every month and never kill somebody in the same place twice for I mean, li- like a long time. Some serial killer has like one of those cute little maps that you get. Like yeah. you get an ad on Facebook. That's like, you like hiking. Here's a map where you can like scratch off the national park as you go. And there's some yep. serial killer in like his RV that's yep. scratching him off with like a little coin. That's yep. like, Oh, I've got 30 down. Yep. And he's just killing people. Just killing people. That would make a lot of sense. Or yeah. drug cartels, um, 
you know, you want to do a drug deal and you need to, you know, transfer like 30 pounds of heroin from one car to another, you need a, a secluded place to do it. You go to a national park because there's not a lot of, um, you know, law enforcement. There's not a lot of people. You go there, you're on some back road doing the drug deal. Some unfortunate hiker comes along and is like, what are you guys doing? Yep. Well, that guy's dead now. He's dead. So it really is. I mean, when you think about it, it's kind of a perfect place for things like that. Oh, yeah. For, Dude. yeah, for murders. Mm-hmm. Because, again, a lot of these people are just <clears throat> alone somewhere. They're on a trail with nobody around. Right. And it would be so, I mean, most of these trails, too, are like, in some of these parks, especially like that, uh, the Green Mountain National Forest, places like that, where, like, you're easily on a trail that's just surrounded by deep woods. Oh, yeah. Heavy, thick woods. Mm-hmm. How hard would it be, especially like a young girl like that, right. a kid, yeah. for somebody just to grab them mm-hmm. and take them into the woods? Especially if you're like a, a wild man who like is familiar with like your circ- your surroundings. Yeah. It's like that guy, the uh, North Pond Hermit in Maine, mm. who was oh, yeah. living for like 30 years just in the woods. Um, and he would, I mean, he would steal from like, you know, houses and stuff, but he lived completely off the grid, no electricity, no running water for like a long ass time in like the yeah. cold Maine winter. And, you know, I can't wait to get the transcriptions done so that I can search and see how many times we've talked about that guy in random. Like, I feel like that's got to be like four or five times now that it somehow has drawn back to like he's a wild human being. Yeah. I hope he somehow is listening. He's in prison. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I guess he might be listening from prison. I don't know how that works. I'm not sure how that works. He's probably he's probably pretty low security. He's not like he like murdered anybody. Right. I yeah. don't think. Not that we know of. <laughs> we know of. Wow. It's unknowable. Wow. Shit. Um, so. So, yeah. So, those are like the more like mundane, run-of-the-mill. I mean, anybody listening to this probably was already thinking a lot of those things yeah. as we were as we were saying them. There's always going to be mundane answers. Oh, yeah. Let's get into the fun stuff. What oh. is the, What are the unknowable answers? Well. We've talked about some of them. We have. I think. So, this episode does remind me a lot of both the Bennington Triangle episode mm-hmm. and the Bigfoot episode. Yep. Where we talk about sort of this interdimensional yes. shifting. A thin place between the two dimensions, our own and the next one over. Yeah. There we've also oh, what episode are we talking about? Um maybe it was the Skinwalker episode, even. We were talking about like the Native Americans' reverence mm-hmm. for nature. Yeah. And how there are some aspects of nature being, especially like in a national park, right. Being in some states, maybe some of the only places where there are just preserved, giant, yeah, yeah, nature that is untouched and undamaged mm. by strip malls and bullshit. Yeah. Humans, humans, yeah. So maybe there's something to be said for there being some weird ass vibes. Oh yeah, in these very pristine nature areas, right? Where there's just some weird shit going on. There's oh, yeah. some, yeah, some thin areas. Mm-hmm. People are slipping in them by accident. Um, again, just like diet love pass where there are people yep. that are turning up in weird areas where we talked about the, the person that was like in that ravine mm-hmm. where it just doesn't make sense. There's a lot of that happening in these stories where somebody is disappearing, not to be found during exhaustive, intense searches with mm-hmm. dogs and helicopters and then turning up right on the trail where they had been. Yeah, where they've been a million times. Or turning up on, yeah, a weird boulder fucking, I don't even know. Yeah. Places where they shouldn't be, where they probably couldn't have gotten to, especially if we're assuming 
that the reason that they wandered off to begin with is because maybe they were injured or dragged away or starving or freezing cold. They're probably not in that state climbing up a giant boulder. Right. So what is putting these people in these weird spots where they couldn't have gotten to? What is making these people die in ways where it's just like blunt force trauma? We don't know. Right. With no other signs of animal attacks, maybe mm-hmm. no place where they could have fallen from to explain that. Like the that person. Aliens. Aliens. Alien abduction. Yeah. So I think there's like almost for me, there's like too many paranormal possibilities because you open up to then like maybe there are some cryptids yeah or a type of cryptid that lives in these national parks maybe a whole bunch of cryptids various ones pick your favorite cryptid and i'm sure there's a national park somewhere in the united states that would be the perfect habitat for it exactly these are again huge areas of land acres Mm -hmm. and acres and acres of land Mm -hmm. where it can't even all be explored no. by humans. And even if it's been explored at one time, that doesn't mean it's currently being like, you know, monitored or anything. Yeah. It's not like there's a lot of human presence out there. So they, stuff could just be, you know, trudging around out there. You know, yeah. it could be, it could be Bigfoot. Maybe those wild men are, you know, Sasquatch. Oh yeah. Um, even like the, um, the kid that was found with, by that endurance runner. Yeah. Where he was actually found, like, was you had to get there. You could get there. I think they even went there, like, by horse. Mm. Um, but at some point, they had to, like, abandon, like, leave the horses and go on foot because it wasn't even accessible right. anymore. So there's things like that where it's people are disappearing and ending up in places like that where it's not even, like, easy to access by foot. Right. So there's probably tons of space in these parks that are like that where you can't even easily get to it. Right. And... It's just yeah, pristine, untouched nature. Yeah. So weird shit happening. I my theory is that most like I'm sure a certain percentage of the missing are mundane. Mm. You know, what we talked about. Inexperienced hikers, inexperienced campers, um, maybe serial killers, drug deals, stuff like that, um, people committing suicide. And then another percentage of them are actually unexplainable. Where it could be, you know, various things. Maybe there's a few abductions. Maybe there's a few cryptids. Maybe there's a few people who just vanish because they all of a sudden crossed the border from our reality to another and they just don't even realize it. And, um, you know, maybe so like, the, for example, someone being found on a trail that has been previously searched. So persons like, you know, either falls and dies or they're walking along and they, you know, the border between our reality and the next sort of like shifts around them. Like we talked about with Bigfoot mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're in another reality and then either they die or they've been dead and their body shifts into another reality. Search happens in our reality. They don't find anything. And then that sort of that line, the boundary crosses back over the body and all of a sudden the body's back in our reality. Yeah. And then when we come back, we're like, wait, we already searched this area, but it was gone because it was in a different reality when we searched the first time. Exactly. Not saying, but I'm saying. Yeah. Ultimately, I think my theory is that it's like 10 different things. Yeah. I really don't think, I definitely don't think that every missing person in national parks is some weird thing happening. I do think some of them are. And I don't think even the weird ones can all be pinned to the same thing. Hmm. I think it's got to be some combination of strange cryptids that we don't know about or that we do and exist there. Right. Plus dimensional shifts. Plus aliens. Always plus, always plus aliens. Basically, yeah. I feel like everything is just plus aliens. But 
Yeah, I don't know. There's just some that just don't make sense to me in any mm-hmm. other way besides being something paranormal. Unknowable. Unknowable. So, yeah. But a cool topic. Just I before researching this, I just didn't know. Yeah. Or before watching that documentary again is a cool documentary. I had no idea about this until I started researching it. Yeah. It wasn't anything that had shown up on my radar. And um, it's actually really fascinating. It's super fascinating. Like I was saying, when you start to get into the particulars and you start to read the different missing persons cases, you're like, oh, like, like that's easily explainable. And then you read it and you're like, hmm. yeah, is it though? Right. Yeah. Some of them really aren't. Some of them are like the, the guy who disappeared on the hundred degree day. I do think it's odd that they didn't, they haven't found a trace of him, mm-hmm. but that once you start off a story with, you know, man close to his 60 disappears on a hundred degree day, you're like out in the desert. It's like, okay, well probably something explainable happened to him, but it is odd. Like again, if he presumably didn't get that far because it was a hundred degrees, why couldn't they find him? Mm -hmm. There's, there's that part of it too. So I don't know. I, I think it's, it's just a weird combination of a whole bunch of things. And I am almost disappointed that I don't have like one theory of like, this is for sure. This, all I know for sure is that some of these just are not your normal cases of missing people. Right. And I think, Definitely the bigger mystery is why is this information not more known? Right. And what are they covering up? Because I think there is something to cover up and I really don't know if it is quite as simple as just like we want to make money. Right. And this is going to make us lose money. Like you can make that money back somehow. This information is not going to go that public and people are going to freak out about it for six months and they're going to go back to like, oh, well. Right. In fact, it might actually bring more people in. Yeah. Think about how the people... Who go to Skinwalker Ranch probably to yeah. like go stand outside the gates and take a photo. Exactly. Google people search are gonna... and find a bunch of people. Oh yeah. Way too many people. Yeah. So I don't think it's totally that. I think in order to have them be covering it up so strongly like this, it's got to be something a little deeper. Whether that is paranormal, criminal, I don't know. But there's but definitely a conspiracy. There's some type of conspiracy going on, I think for sure. So. Shout out to... Is his name Paul Polites? Uh, no. David? David. David Polites. Shout out to David Polites. Thank you for uh, generating interest in this because yeah. it's a fascinating topic and it's something that I think there needs to be more light shed on. Yeah. Sure. So definitely check out. So last I watched it, which was a while ago, it was on Hulu. I don't know if it still is, but if you're listening and you're interested, check out his books. Um, you can read a lot about this online, obviously. But check out his books, check out the documentary. Um, and there is a GoFundMe that exists. Yes. I actually should have looked into that more before this episode, but so I don't know exactly what the the funds from the GoFundMe are meant to go towards. But there is a GoFundMe that exists, which somebody pointed out on Instagram. Hmm. Actually, weirdly. I couldn't remember if we mentioned that we were doing this topic in the last episode. So it seemed weirdly timely that somebody commented on I think I made a post on our Instagram a while ago that I was watching that documentary uh, and somebody was like, if you want to help, like go to the GoFundMe. And I was like, okay, dude, calm down. <laughs> you don't know that I haven't, but <laughs> I haven't, but they were kind of aggressive about it. And I was like, whoa. But then I was like, weird. Cause that's our next topic. Like, how did they know? Ooh. But we don't have great memories. So it's possible that we mentioned it the last episode. Very true. But anyways, go check out the GoFundMe. Check out the documentary. Yeah. And let us know what you think. Do you think this is a conspiracy? Are we crazy for even questioning it? Do you think this is like obviously just people falling down cliffs? Or what? Or is it unknowable?
that wasn't the end. That was the end. Wow, I just saw my voice like spike like crazy. Nice. Anyways, so check us out on Instagram. Yep. At a knowable podcast. Definitely. Check us out on Facebook. Yep. Check us out on Patreon. Yep. Become a patron. Yep. We've got some cool ass stickers. Yep. Shout out to Broggy Doggy Art. Nice. He um, did a great design. He did a great design for us. He's amazing. Um, yeah. If you go to our website, mm-hmm. click support us at the top. Yep. Smash that donate button. <laughs> I keep saying that. I hate myself for it. Nope. And if you donate $3 or more, you will get a sticker. Oh, yeah. Um, just make sure you put in the notes that you'd like a sticker or yep. how many you'd like and what your address is. Yep. We'll send it to you. And if you're a patron of ours, you will get a sticker for free. Woohoo. So shout out to our patrons. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, some new block print art coming soon. Yep. Did I say that totally wrong? No, no, that works. It's like block prints would have worked. Right-ish. Okay, yeah, it's close enough. You got all the words there. So new block prints, handmade yeah. by Gray. Always. Which is amazing. So we will have some new prints coming again. Those will be for our patrons. Mm-hmm. And then people will be able to purchase them. Yeah. We'll probably do a contest. It's going to be a whole thing. And we will hopefully have some t-shirts at some point in the future. Yes. Of this excited. design. So get pumped. Because when you see this print, that's going to be what's the t-shirt. Shirts are coming next. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So go check out all that stuff please do tell us what you think thank you for supporting us thank you for supporting us you're amazing and this was episode 33 of unknowable unknowable love you